paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Dr. John. What is it, Dr. John? Looks like we've got another flop. Do we have a reading on its beats? Negative. Let's check its vitals. Concept. A check. Plot. A check. Structure. Uh, I mean, it's there. Um, what about characters? Check. Dialogue? Check. What about its theme? Uh, yeah, about that. Well, let's fix it. But first... Welcome to the Script Doctors Podcast, where each week we take on a new patient, a movie script, or a TV show in an attempt to diagnose script diseases we found within them and suggest our own prescriptions on how we'd fix them. I'm Dr. John Cooper. And I'm Dr. John Akawi. And we are... The Script Doctors. We are not medical doctors. Therefore, any medical advice we give can and should be deemed as false. We are script doctors, graduates of the UCLA Screenplay Medical School, and therefore are only qualified to give medical advice on movie and TV scripts. All scripts are wonderful in their own way, and each has redeeming qualities. Our diagnoses and prescriptions are purely based on story and merely suggestions of what we would have done differently to make the story better in our eyes. Please consult with us, your script doctors, before submitting to any competitions or big-name Hollywood producers or agencies. Welcome, Welcome to, the to the script, script doctors. <laughs> Welcome to the script doctors. <laughs> That's the only lyric I remember. Um, we don't talk about... Good scripts. Wow. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> we don't talk about scripts. No, we do. We actually do. We do Welcome we to our show. Literally all the time. <laughs> Wait, one more, one more. Um trip, 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 trip. No, trip tip, tick, 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 tick. Let my script's about to blow. Whoa. <laughs> uh, you that, that lyric is always so hard for you, but I love the effort you Every put into time. it. I'm like, is it drip? Is it tip? Is it tick? Like Lin-Manuel Miranda, make up your freaking mind. <laughs> well, the problem is he did make up his mind. He chose all three of those. And it just confuses us every time we try to say it. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Even well, more remixes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I have one. What is it? That, that one that, uh, that Issa and uh, Mirabel sing. What is it? Uh, My God, sister sings Oh. It's it's not perfect, but it's theirs. What else could they have done? We're here to find out, to see what they could have done. On another episode of The Script Doctor. Doctors. Ooh. With John and John. That was, that was amazing, Dr. John. <laughs> we should quit our careers in medicine and go into uh, and go into musicals. Into musical. I mean, it's not like we have a background in it, right? No, no, I've never been in a musical. <laughs> You wouldn't. You, you would never know the, by listening to me back there, but I, I was. Well, you got vocal range. I don't. I just. I'm like. Ah. <laughs> I sound like Shakira when I'm in a musical, you which is that, like, fine because Shakira is like you know a global phenomenon, so that's fine, I guess. Yeah, see, you say that it's like, oh yeah, I just sound like Bruno Mars when I sing. Uh, <laughs> can you believe? <laughs> essentially, what I heard. Both of them should have been in this film that we're talking about today. I know, right? Wait, what What film is it? I can't tell from the music. Lion King, what's wrong with you? I, I, okay, I just couldn't remember the name of it. I knew it was like a, about a lion and a king and a family with magic powers. Oh, no, no. You're thinking of um, that one Disney movie um, with magical powers, Aladdin. That's the one. That was bad. I, was, I almost said Meet the Robinsons, but I'm like, did anyone remember that movie? <laughs> I love that. I love Meet the Robinsons. But no, we are talking about Encanto today, Encanto. everyone. Woohoo! Great movie. And if, I know our listeners can't see us, but for their viewers watching us, mm-hmm. John, Dr. John actually has his own um, candle in the back. I do. 
This is where all of our superpowers come from. <laughs> Except ours is a lava lamp. It's a little more safe than a candle that can flicker in the wind. That, that, that is so true. Come on, Disney. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe it's symbolic about the instability of magic in the world. You know? Wow, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Like, why a candle? You know it was intentional. That's true. And in a way, I mean, the movie's not a period piece, but in some way, it also feels like a period piece. Oh. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> it, so. it, it for sure it has strong, strong elements of a period piece, actually. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess before we dive into our topic of Encanto, yeah. since we're so excited about it, <laughs> so did excited. we uh, do our screenwriting term of the day? Yes, let's do our, our term. Um, what is our term, Dr. John? Um, well, our term is theme. That's right. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, a theme, it, as defined by uh, Merriam-Webster's uh, Dictionary, is a subject or topic of discourse or of artistic representation. Mm-hmm. So essentially what, you know, what a movie or a book or any sort of artistic piece, what it's about, the message that it's trying to tell, the, the belief it's trying to convey, all of that is encapsulated within the word theme when we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important to distinguish it from the word premise, which some people often think go hand in hand. They do, but they're not, ju- oh, what's the word? Not juxtaposed. Uh, where you could just like swap terms. What is that word? <laughs> like synonyms? Yes, there's another, I guess so, a synonym, but like- so They're not like swappable? A... Interchangeable. Interchangeable, thank you. Yes, we are writers, but sometimes- <laughs> You have yeah. no idea how much we use Google as writers. Uh, like What's actually... that word? Yeah, um, interchangeable. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. You know, they, you can't necessarily use them to be interchangeable because a premise is of like a book, a film or screenplay is basically the initial state of affairs that drives the plot forward, you know? So it is different than your theme, but both of them feed into each other. So like you can't have a premise without a theme. You can't, you can have a theme, but you won't tell a story without your premise, you know? Exactly. They can't be used interchangeably, but they feed into each other. Right. You can't have one without the other. And if the theme isn't informing the premise, you're doing something wrong. Or if the premise isn't like informative of the theme, also doing something wrong. Exactly. Exactly. So So, yeah, there's theme and a little bit uh, premise as well. Which we will maybe talk about in depth one other day for our screenwriting term of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And you will hear theme a lot. A lot today. Uh, as we decided earlier, I I suffer from theme themania, <laughs> an obsession with theme. I love theme. In the arms of an angel, fly away. Hi, I'm Dr. John Akawi. Do you have a best friend like John, Dr. John Cooper, who suffers from themania? Call the number below and support for his addiction to theme. Sorry, it just, it, I just, I, you know, I, I just heard Sarah McLaughlin's voice speaking to me when you were discussing your addiction to theme. <laughs> I, I really should start a group for uh, recovering uh, th- themaniacs. <laughs> is that is that what we're called? The, the themaniacs. Hi, I'm Dr. John C, and I'm a themaniac. Hi, Dr. John C. Hi, Dr. John C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every Wednesday we'll be hosting. Um, what would you call it? Like 
TAA. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Themaniacs Anonymous. (laughs) That's in our other podcast, though. We'll talk much more about that when that when that one launches uh, in a few (laughs) years. (laughs) When we get our psych degrees, because right now we only have an SD. Yeah, we're working towards those. I mean, the MD is not good enough, right? We got to we got to get even more <laughs> scripts. Now we need an MD of no, a psychology degree of scripts. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> um, but I can tell you that the movie that we are talking about today has a lot to say, unlike me. So <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's look at that and it can start telling us things. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So as Dr. John C said, our film of the day is Encanto. Mm-hmm. And to remind our listeners and viewers, I'm going to read a synopsis of it by the official Walt Disney Animation Studios website. It's a great idea. Okay, so Encanto. No better place to take it from. <laughs> the actual people who made it, right? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um, so Encanto tells the tale of an extraordinary family, the Madrigals, who live hidden in the mountains of Colombia in a magical house in a vibrant town, in a wondrous, charmed place called An Encanto. I sound like Abuela, but um, anyways. <laughs> hey, you're just, you're, you're really uh, channeling her right now. Honestly, that, honestly. That's okay. I have to put on her um, accent, but I probably can't. Um, <laughs> the magic of the Encanto has blessed every child in the family with a unique gift from super strength to the power to heal every child except one, Mirabel. But when she discovers that the magic surrounding the Encanto is in danger, Mirabel decides that she, the only ordinary Madrigal, might just be her exceptional family's last hope. Wow. I mean, look at at you go. Great, great work. (laughs) Gives me goosebumps. uh... (laughs) (laughs) So that is Encanto in a nutshell, right? What we're talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. Not only will this podcast be better, but it's a great movie. It really is. And it's streamable now on Disney Plus. So you might as well go and give them their view counts, <laughs> I guess. And money for subscribing. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so so if it's, sponsor us. Please. If it's such a good movie, though, John, like why are why are we looking at it as the script doctors? You know, aren't we only looking at bad movies? Well, I mean, as our philosophy is not every, no, not, what am I trying to say? Our philosophy is that no matter how good a movie is or how bad a movie is, there's always room for improvement. Like nothing is ever perfect, you know? And I think that is something that one takes, I personally take, and I think you do too, into just art in general, not just in writing, but in acting, right? Also in directing and producing and every single thing, you always look back at it and you're like, I could have done this different, you know? But you usually just want to get to a point where you're just satisfied with what you have, right? <laughs> yeah, or having having actual production experience, or you just only have <laughs> the one thing you <laughs> yeah. have to move on. Like, well, I hope you got it because that's all we have time for, folks. <laughs> exactly. It's all the money we have. So, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so shut it down. We got what we got. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like Encanto is a critically acclaimed film. I mm-hmm. mean, it's also Academy Award nominated, Golden Globe nominated, Critics, every Critics' Choice nominated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we both found that there were certain things that we could have done or we, that's not we, cause we didn't write, those, but <laughs> we, you <didn't>. know, <laughs> we, if we did that, there's little things that we could have done to kind of improve the story or things that we would have been done differently, you know? Yeah. Or if we had received the script in earlier drafts, if someone said, Hey, here's our script as it is, give us notes on it. These are the notes we would have given the writers who wrote it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. 
And that's what a job of a script doctor is. So <laughs> I see what you did there. What can I say? Um, well, they didn't come and ask us for our diagnosis. Oh, oh my gosh. And so we are here to give you, the listeners <laughs> and audience members, the diagnoses and prescriptions. Absolutely. So what? So let's let's launch into that then. What what do we diagnose this uh, with? And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we always diagnose the script first because it's hard to it's hard to say what we would fix until we can figure out what the problem is, right? So yeah. we we have, we've settled on what we believe is an accurate diagnosis for uh, what Encanto suffers from, what its malady is. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the primary uh, diagnosis that we're giving this is the uh, polythemtosis, right? Oh. Ah, what a terrible a- disease. <laughs> and actually very, very common. I would say almost yeah. as common as the, as the cold. You know, uh, a lot of movies suffer from this because we as writers have a lot to say and we think about a lot. What polythemtosis is, is essentially it's too many themes trying to occupy the same movie. They're each competing for the sunlight in the movie and it causes each of them to not get enough. And yeah. you just get a bunch of drooping, not fleshed out themes throughout the movie, right? Yes. And it kind of makes the movie very wishy-washy because some scenes are more powerful than others because they dive deeper into a specific theme than other scenes. And it just kind of feels uneven at points, mm-hmm. you know? Um, exactly. And it's... it's great that we bring this up too because i feel like polythemtosis is something common that a lot of emerging writers suffer from as well absolutely because you're kind of grasping the idea of what theme do i want to tell in the story and how do i just focus in on that you Mm -hmm. know i mean personally i'm suffering from that on a project i'm working on right now because it's like like you said we have so much to say Mm -hmm. but you can't say it all really (laughs) exactly (laughs) so it's Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but and, and worst case scenario, sometimes also with new writers, they're so focused on just getting that first draft done, getting that vomit draft out there that you don't even know what your theme is until you go back and rewrite it. And you look at your piece and say, what theme came out of me? Because oftentimes you don't necessarily want to start with that theme in mind or it will suffer from another yes. you know, sickness that we'll talk about, which is you know too much yes. theme. Um, but having that rewrite, that's, that's when you really can start fleshing that out. But I think that's why a lot of them suffer from too many themes at first is because they stick with those vomit drafts instead of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. Right. Totally. No, totally. And I, I don't know if this is an important thing to say, especially for animated films, such as Encanto, which if anyone has not, did not know that Encanto is an animated film, <laughs> um, but like, at least I'm somewhat familiar with the Disney and Pixar process of how they craft their animated films. Those puppies go into production. Like the, the film we saw recently was in production seven years ago, you know, at least. Dang, I didn't because, know that. Because anywhere between five to seven years, because it starts with the idea, as we said, it could be the premise or the theme, <laughs> you know, and they build around it. But then kind of what you're saying, it's all about the discovery draft, the vomit draft up front, where you just really write all everything you need to do. But then in subsequent drafts, you start cutting out the unnecessary things and unnecessary things to kind of make it more focused, you know? Right. Animated films, especially because it's, those are films are very expensive. And if you notice, a lot of them are shorter than two hours, you know, they really need to focus in on a lot of the story and the theme that they really want to tell up front. So that's why it takes them years to find out what they want to do and what they want to say, you know? 
And at least with the Encanto process from things that I saw on Twitter from a lot of the writers who worked in the writer's room or the story team, a lot of them did say we started out with just simple themes and trying mm-hmm. to craft an idea of, especially because a uh, majority of the writer's room happened to be Latin American, of like what as Latin Americans do we experience that maybe an ordinary American wouldn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Wrote those themes on the wall and kind of crafted this unique story about it that beautifully not only resonates to Latin Americans in general, but people across the globe, no matter your skin color, ethnicity, race, religious identity, sexual, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, because of the themes at the end of the day. Exactly. And the themes themselves are are fairly universal, I feel like. I mean, I, at least I can say that. that that's really cool. I didn't know it was... Um, that that's how, how that writer's room works. So it's, it's, that's really powerful to me that like, you know, as now a white male, like <laughs> that all those themes are still resonating with me. That means the writers did their job in finding good universal themes that are, that are resonating worldwide. That's great. You know, that's, that's what you want. Exactly. exactly. You know, but if you have too many, like, it sounds like, you know, they, what they probably should have done at some point was narrow in on one, maybe two themes. Instead, we have a few that really water down and cause a bunch of, um symptoms you know uh, yeah. like uh <laughs> correct me if i'm pronouncing this one wrong but uh rebeat plesia is is the other is one of the symptoms that this movie suffers from oh heartbreaking it's, uh, it's uh because repeat plesia is also a um common malady that a lot of uh emerging writers get into because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not it's an interesting thing because sometimes you just like us when we take these movies or these scripts at first, we're looking at it from kind of like a bird's eye view, right? We're kind of looking at the general stuff before we really dive back deep into it. Mm-hmm. But as a writer with your own project, you're in in it. Like you're down here at the basic phase that you don't kind of see this bird's eye view of it. So you don't always catch that stuff. Right. You know? So And Rebeat Pleasure, for those of you uh, who don't know, oh, yeah, is uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is everyone except for us. Uh <laughs> Is, is essentially when your your story beats or like your scenes are becoming redundant and they're not giving us any new information. They're not moving the story forward. It's just, you know, we get it again. And that, that we can see in Encanto because we hear the story of the candle, what, three times At throughout least. the course? Yeah. And nothing new is introduced in any of those times. It's literally just they're telling us again, oh, the candle's the source of magic. Oh, the candle's the source of magic. Oh, did you know the candle's the source of magic? Yes. Wait, what? what was <laughs> I know. I know. Rebeat Plesia. That's what that was. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you sure it's not Rebeat Amnesia? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm about to have that. <laughs> what, was the candle? what was the candle? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So you, so you get symptoms like that or, you know, uh, um, antagon. Oh, what is it? Antagatosis, you know, like a, a very weak antagonist or antagonistic presence. Uh, which which Encanto also suffers from. You you see that online as well. You know who's the antagonist in in Encanto, and there's that there's that funny meme about it. it's the three musicians in the street, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they're throwing Mirabel, very well knowing that Mirabel has no powers, throwing her uh, <laughs> ukulele or whatever that it's not a ukulele, you know that guitar esque instrument. I don't know what the proper term is, if there is a proper term, but that thing, yes. Nor do I, but throwing her an instrument and yeah, saying, yeah. yes, tell us what your power is, knowing clear well she has no power. Yeah, like, um, talk about shade throwing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I would say the antagonists are the three little kids that just annoyed the crap out of me, who constantly were asking questions and constantly that, which, 
a fair note would be that I like that because in a way it was kind of the audience's perception into the film, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, those are the questions that I'm thinking of and the little kids were asking it. But at points I'm like, leave Mirabelle alone. Like, she's already <laughs> she going through so much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, um, be- because it suffers from rebeplegia and the, dis- the exploration of too many themes, it makes the antagonist of the film very shallow right. because that antagonist cannot embody one particular theme. Because if, if they do, then you're leaving all the other themes unexplored and then it becomes like, what is going on? You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're telling very, very different stories in one script. Right. So with that being said, <clears throat> what, Dr. John, would you do to, to, to you know, fix, okay. fix it, to, to cure it? How, how would you treat this patient? What, what's your prescription? Um, I would write more songs. I mean, it's <laughs> a great prescription. <laughs> we don't talk about now. Um, uh, I would say that's the equivalent of. Uh, <laughs> I won't go there, but it's the, it's the equivalent of just like band aiding it. You know, putting a band aid on the wound. Like, oh, your um, arm sliced open here. A band aid will help, right? Yeah. yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll just let it bleed out. Um, <laughs> I would kind of what we were saying about the repeat bleesia. That was something that I particularly did not like in the film because. It was like, okay, we get it. This candle has magical powers. Okay, we get it. You know, it was a miracle for Abuela, especially mm-hmm. the prologue. I liked, I found it fascinating that the writers decided to give the film a prologue. And then, you know, it opens up with the credits of Encanto and then it cuts right into us meeting who Mirabel really is in the present time, right? Mm-hmm. Then they open with the song, The Family Madrigal, who then Mirabel spends basically introducing every family member to us but then also explaining again what the candle's powers were. And in many ways, I'm like, we literally just watched a seven minute sequence about that earlier. Like, why are you repeating all the beats again? Right. But in a way, it like the prologue did introduce us to the main theme of the film, I felt like, which is what they were trying to get across with the whole intergenerational trauma kind of idea of like mm-hmm. the way that Abuela was suffering, but then the candle gave the kids powers and stuff like that. Because Abuela didn't have powers really, right? No, she just has the candle, whatever that candle power is oh, is she God? Like, <laughs> it's essentially, essentially right. <laughs> Even though she doesn't choose the powers for her kids, but uh, <laughs> and grandkids, but like, so it introduced that theme. And then when we have the song "Welcome to the Family Madrigal," you meet all the family members with powers, but then it's also each family member embodied a certain theme, mm-hmm. right? So um, Louisa, for example, uh, and Mirabel's older sister, the strength, like it's she's very super strong. Um, then you have Isabel, perfection, you know, she's very perfection, stuff like that. And then you have all the other different family members and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, we're straying away from the main theme to introduce us to all these little other sub themes, if you will, mm-hmm. all fun. Don't get me wrong, sure. you know, and being a child of immigrants, <laughs> I, I connected to that, you know? So at my first viewing, I did not have an issue with it. Cause again, it's very beautifully animated. It's very colorful. Sure, Very fun to watch. It's a party. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. It's how Marvel gets away with all the stuff they do, too. It's how Disney gets away with so much. Is It's a party. And it goes to show how powerful if you just, if you're having fun while you're telling the script, you'll overlook a lot, a lot, a lot. Exactly. And so, again, like, I didn't mind it. But upon a third viewing, when I rewatched it with kind of this lens of... And I forced you to. <laughs> yeah, when Dr. John forced me to, I, I, I realized, I'm like, it, a lot of these are just rehashed beats, and it's because they were trying to really butt in these other themes into this main script 
that then really went nowhere. And I felt like it really watered down those themes themselves. I personally thought that the intergenerational trauma theme was consistent throughout the film, which was great. Mm -hmm. But which I think you'll probably talk about and you'll agree with, it did not land with a strong climax though, because it was water being watered down so much with all these other themes, you know? Exactly. And I wonder if the film could have used less characters. I could, I could see that. I, I personally didn't, didn't mind it a whole ton um, because the, um, her cousins and, and those people all kept for the majority a, a really On the like, lines, very, yeah. very sideline plots, except for like Dolores, right? She's probably the one cousin that had like a, a bigger plot in there. Yes, that one, the, the listening one. <laughs> I, I heard what you were about to say like miles before you oh said Oh my it, goodness, so. you, have, you, you must be a madrigal. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the characters actually, and I'll just I'll kind of piggyback on what you're, on what you're saying. Uh, the theme, like each character, in, in my opinion, at least of the immediate family, they were all encapsulating that same theme. Uh, the, the, how do I say this? The, not the perfectionistic, but the, that, that pressure that family pressure that abuela puts, you know, for them to be perfect, to not break, you know, to be essentially perfect. Um, which is why I think Issa's song is placed where it's placed because it's about her letting go of that pressure and just breaking free. Right. You see that first, you see the introduction of the pressure during Luisa's song and that breaking free in Issa's and then even the song about the butterfly. I mean, I don't know what all the words are because I don't speak, you know, Spanish. But <laughs> hey, man, Disney thought, oh, we'll submit this song to the Academy. But anyways, I, I assume it's a, you know, about a, you know, a caterpillar breaking from its cocoon and becoming a butterfly, possibly. Again, don't know what it's about. But if I was thematically structuring that, all the songs are following that same theme. The, yeah. the issue is there. there's one song that doesn't. There's two, I guess. There's the introduction song, but then there's also... Mirabelle's song waiting on a miracle which introduces yet another theme about i'm waiting to be special i want to be i want to be special like everyone else i don't have a power like i'm waiting on that miracle mm-hmm. right so then you so then you have the intergenerational trauma theme you've got this pressure theme to be perfect and then you've got i don't feel special theme and i feel like those were the three major themes that were being explored in this movie mm-hmm. but the problem is like we talked about before, one of the symptoms is then antagonist, right? Where the antagonist in this movie, in my diagnosis, is supposed to be abuela. Would you agree with that? I 100% agree. Yeah. Right. But for me, and part of my prescription is that she didn't quite function how she needed to as an antagonist because we never saw that pressure mm-hmm. she was putting on other people directly. Mm-hmm. Right. But maybe we catch little glimpses of it, but I didn't catch the, the glances I caught of Abuela's sternness and strictness mm-hmm. was when she would chastise Mirabel on getting involved. Yes. Now, the problem is that undoes that pressure theme because she's not putting any pressure on Mirabel. In fact, she's trying to take it off of her by saying, don't be involved in the family. That's completely yeah. different. Yeah. Right. The, if so, one of my prescriptions, I think, what would have made her stronger. I have, I have a few different directions that could have done this, but one of the things that would have helped is if Abuela 
had expected a lot more of Mirabelle because she didn't have powers, right? Yes, yes. And in a way, it would have made Mirabelle a bit more of an active character, even though she is already active, but given the themes, it would have made her much more active in that sense. Right. And I think we would have had a little bit more insight into kind of the stakes. What yes. happens if you let Abuela down? We, we don't know. Like, as far as that we've seen, Abuela's a very loving grandmother that, you know, maybe a bit stern, a bit strict at times. But what happens if Luisa doesn't move the farm today? You know, what if Isa's not perfect yeah. on this day? We, we never saw what happened. So there, there's no stakes in there because they didn't pick a theme and they couldn't show us what Abuela would do to them if they, if they didn't uh, pony up, as it were. See, I was just saying that it makes me think of because like with my own family coming from a Middle Eastern background is it in a way now it makes sense why Abrilla was like that because at the end of the day, it was family ego, mm, you know, okay. um, because of this idea that I felt like traditional families, basically when I say that, like non-Western families mm -hmm. were very communal rather than the idea of focusing on the independence of one, you know, right. And I felt like with this film, it was kind of that exploration of that in a way where it's the family, Madrigal, it's the community. They work together as a unit to kind of fix and give back to the Encanto, right? Mm -hmm. but Mirabel is kind of this individual who wants to figure out why am I unique? Who am I, right? Like that's the right. entire film. Um, and that's why I felt like Abuela antagonizes her in a way because mm -hmm. she's like, no, don't involve yourself because you have nothing to give us, you know? You have nothing to show us kind of thing. Because in my own family, when there's certain things that happen, it's always think about how it's going to reflect back on our family. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't care about that. Like, I care about what people are going to think about me rather than you, you know? Right. And I felt like, that's why Abuela was so like with a stick up her butt, you know, <laughs> of like the minute we don't do that, um, you know, they're going to start the the, the Encanto is going to revolt against us because we're not helping them. But like you said, we don't see any of that. So it's like, it would have been more fun to see yeah, what if Luisa doesn't move the church? Right. What if um, Isabella does not produce flowers for some wedding or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. how would the family react? And that could give an, a better understanding of why Abuela is very like, no, no, no about that and very strict and controlling over it. Mm -hmm. I felt like maybe because I have that own trauma <laughs> in a way <laughs> that it's like, I don't need to see it to understand it. But it only took me talking to you about it in this way for me to realize that. Because at the same time, like I said, I didn't, I don't think Abuela was a strong antagonist. And I don't think she is a strong antagonist, mm -mm. you know? So in a way I felt maybe the writers in Disney was really relying on multi-generational, but also multi like cultural generational American families to just feel that. Right. But which is why, that. which is why the movie still works, which is why it's so widely successful because they, they, not that they lucked out, but there, there are so many people who have experienced this that don't need it. They can fill in the gaps, but the gaps still exist within the movie, whether you're filling them in or not. Right. Exactly. exactly. And those gaps needed to have been filled in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that would have been helped if they had, you know, stuck with the theme. If that's the theme that they want to go with, you know, there's, there's, there's the three different directions that you can then take this movie based on which theme you are, you're running with, right? You know, if, if it's all about Mirabel being special, then Abuela needs to, it is working okay, actually, if you take that theme, because 
She's saying, well, you're not special. You can't help. And then at the end of the movie showing how Mirabelle can help because she's not special. Mm -hmm. Right. And really ramming that point home. But then that, in my opinion, would change the climax. If you are, if, if you're following that theme, because the, the climax is Abuela and Mirabelle's reconciliation, right? Yes. Which has nothing to do with Mirabelle being special. I guess it kind of does because Abuela realizes that Mirabelle's her miracle that was sent to her. But it doesn't land as strong because it's not Mirabelle, right? The antagonist is having a, a, a moment of realization. And that, you know, the protagonist needs to have that moment in the climax, yes. right? Yes, yes. Yeah, because otherwise it's like, Abuela's not driving this movie forward. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> He's just there being like, Mirabel, stop it. <laughs> like, don't get involved. And that's it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a very anticlimactic climax. It was. And I think upon my, again, it did not take me until my third viewing to really realize when I was looking at structure of the fill of the script to be like, okay, what is the climax? Mm-hmm. You know? Because the first two times you watch it, it, it's just like, oh, you know, it is a very endearing moment. You're like, oh, crying. Disney movie. But because, like you said, because it's not Abuela's not really an antagonist, but then also she's the one that's coming to this realization rather than Mirabel. Right. You're like, okay. Um, so I don't understand how this is an all is lost kind of moment because really what was lost for Mirabel if she didn't find anything? <laughs> Honestly, what was lost for any of them? That was one of my other of my other notes is what happens if the Madrigals lose their power? Yeah. They they stop ruling a town isolated in you know, in, in a jungle, like that is, are those the stakes? Like, so we, the ruling class uh, in the, in the Encanto loses their powers and stops becoming the rulers. Like, is that, are those the stakes? Yeah, right. That's, that's, I don't really have any worry about that. I'm like, Oh good. So now they can all just be equal and just help each other. It's, it's not devastating to me that they lose their powers. And I mean, that's a good point that you bring up because any emerging writer listening to us, like your stakes need to have some sort of life or death, Absolutely. Not in the literal sense. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, if they don't do it, they're going to die, but it needs to feel like a life and death to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's there. It, 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 it can be there. The fact that it's like, if we do lose our powers, like who will we be? But they don't really dive into that because right. it's just all like, oh, no, the candle. Oh, my husband, you know, like, oh, whatever. Okay, great. But like you said, what happens if that candle goes out for good? Are you Nothing. all going to get overthrown? Because that's not what you made us feel like. It was just, again, back to the whole, like, the family image. Louisa just fell off my desk. <laughs> clearly, Louisa, I know our listeners, or our viewers, our listeners, yeah, I cannot see it, but there's Louisa to our list of viewers. Woo! Uh, character right there. Back to her. <laughs> Sorry, Louisa. Oh, my gosh. Um, what, Louisa, what were we talking about here? Um... <laughs> I would interject, but I'm really entertained by you talking to Louisa right now. So I might just let you go forward with that. Well, interject, interject. You can talk to Louisa here. I'll put her on the mic and she can respond to oh, you. Oh, great. Louisa, I, I believe we were talking about, you, you can tell Dr. John this, but I believe we were talking about yes. what happens if the Madrigals lose their powers? What, you know, what happens? And it's nothing. You got to have your stakes, life or death, right? Um, yes, you need to look under the surface where we hide our nerves and it just constantly worsens. <laughs> I worry that something is going to hurt us. <laughs> so clearly the viewers were not looking under the surface. The, the, the audience or the writers? <gasps> oh. Oh, oh, deep. Touche. You really <laughs> grip, grip, grip those 
writers. <laughs> oh no. Sorry that our Lisa, audience thank you. Thank you for being on our podcast, Lisa. We we uh, really appreciate appreciate you and uh, in your presence here. It's been it's been great having you on. Anytime. But I just want to ask you one question. When you write your scripts, Dr. John Cooper. Yes, yes. Do you ever yes. do you ever think about like you feel berserk as a tight wop, rope walker in the three ring circus? Or do you ask yourself, was Hercules ever like, yo, I don't want to buy Cerberus? Okay, I'm done. I am done. I am done. Thank you, Louisa. Anyways. I was going to say, it doesn't have to be script writing. I feel that every single day as the oldest child in my family. Man, I relate so much to that. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Louisa. Louisa. I mean, and I think what you were saying earlier, her song was perfectly timed. And her th- her song was honestly like a big thematic crux for the whole idea mm-hmm. of the film. You know, that they all do have a sense of pressure, but I felt like it was not explored with all the characters properly. And I know that's yeah. what we're saying, like, you know, it was all watered down, but if they focused in on that, it could have been stronger. What were you exactly. going to say? No, just, just that I was actually going to say, I, I do feel like it was introduced in, in almost every single character, but like you said, not explored because they were so busy focusing on the theme of Mirab- Mirabelle trying to figure out her place that they couldn't explore that everyone felt this pressure to, you know, not have a place that, and that's where the disconnect is. Nobody else felt pressure to have a place. They helped, they felt pressure because they had a place, mm-hmm. but if they'd all ha- felt that same pressure of where do I fit in, even with my powers, then we have a nice unified theme, mm-hmm. but they, they didn't. So like in, in my professional prescription, there are kind of three things that needed to happen. One of these three things kind of needed to happen. Either uh, Mirabel needed to save the house from falling and keep help everyone stop, you know, stop losing their powers, which, you know, essentially happens. Yes, she rebuilds it like that. So like that is what ended up happening. But then some other stuff previously would have needed to change to really help that land. Or she needed to save the family by discovering her power, even if her power was having no power and like really hitting that on the head that like I am special. I can contribute even if I'm not special in these same ways. Right. Or she just needs to like accept who she is. Uh, you know, there's a, so I don't know if that was three, that might've been two, but I think that might've kind of helped it. If that makes, if that makes sense, it would have fit with and each one of those is kind of correlates to the different themes, but f- disagree with me. Or agree with me. No, I, I agree with you. I uh, The funny, as you were saying that, it made me think of, um, which maybe we can do a whole episode about this. No, there you uh, go. Star Wars Episode Eight, <sighs> with oh. The Last Jedi, where, <laughs> you know, it was kind of exploring that idea of you don't have to be anyone to be someone, you know? Exactly. And so that kind of hits home with Mirabelle. And that I felt like that's what they were trying to get to, where it's like, girl, you don't have to have magical powers mm-hmm. to be an important part of this family, you know? Right. And yes, that kind of was what was supposed to happen in the climax. But like we said, it didn't land because right, right. the exploration of the themes beforehand kind of went all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I agree with you. I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So is, is there anything else that you would prescribe or change in this movie to kind of, you know, embrace that theme or another one of the themes <laughs> that makes sense i mean like i said earlier i don't know if this would be a fix but it's something that i've been thinking about just because i work with a lot of ensemble pieces in terms of my stories is mm-hmm. where there are too many characters 
Gotcha. And that's why it was kind of not being able to be focused in on just the main central themes. Mm-hmm. Because like we said, like, yeah, the the whole idea with like the surface pressure stuff and the perfection is in a way introduced in all of the characters. Like that's why they have sure. the powers and they help the community. But then sometimes like, honestly, I, I forget wh- whose powers are what half the time, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why maybe earlier I was like, maybe there needs to be more songs because it was like, it was cool to see the surface pressure song because it reminded you what Luisa's powers were on right. top of what she was struggling with. And then like in the later half of the film, when Isabella's song happens, you understand, okay, you remember her, you're reminded of her powers. Mm-hmm. Again, with the whole surface pressure idea and the perfectionist idea. But I'm like, did we need that with all the characters? Well, no, because then it would be too much, too many songs, mm-hmm. too many things being explored. Unless each of those songs is not only advancing the plot forward but advancing the theme forward and the problem probably why it felt like there was too many characters is because each character was literally following a a, a sub theme if that makes sense like the narrative was actually following theme a and all the songs were following theme b and so it feels like there's too many because it's like i have all at least what from from my perspective what what i'm seeing in what you're saying is you know it feels like there's so many because they're not all contributing they're all just over here following their own little storyline yeah. And I think that's why we don't talk about Bruno, that particular song and that number is so iconic besides all the TikTok trends that made it go viral, but <laughs> is because it's the whole family coming together with actual Bruno and just speaking on that theme B, mm-hmm. you know, of the surface pressure idea and showing you the life and death stakes that it existed between yes. it. You know, that's why Bruno had to get banished. Yes. But then it fizzles away. And, and that's that's why it's it's almost like the because you normally you go into a movie and you're really excited for the climax for those awesome moments that you know you've been waiting for and you go into Encanto at least for me I'm really excited to see surface pressure and we don't talk about Bruno right because that's the moment where the stakes are the most present because we see what happened to Bruno and what everyone thought about him because he wasn't meeting the family's expectations right be right it completely fades away because they didn't spend time instead of developing luisa or isa developing abuela and that antagonist and making sure she is the scary force that is going to come down and rain fire upon mirabel for for whatever reason the theme is dictating right yeah yeah it's funny because when i watched it again with structure i pinpointed the midpoint as being we don't talk about bruno interesting and I, I would say, I mean, hey, Disney, if you want to hire us for like a possible <laughs> theatrical adaptation, call me out, call us up. But I could see that we don't talk about Bruno number being the act end number, you know, you know how you always have that climactic and all the characters singing and it's all like this flashy thing, you know, that would have been perfect for that. And I think that's why when that song happens, I'm like, yes, here we go, here we go. And then act two happens, or, you know, the, the second half act two starts and it just goes away because like right. we said, too many themes, the antagonist is not fully developed in order to be in a proper antagonistic force. And then the climax just doesn't land as strongly. It like, it's a, it's a weird way. Like, you know how we have our, um, and I know our listeners cannot see what I'm doing here, but <laughs> our visual interpretation of like a story, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. Inciting incident, bam. Okay, climax, we're going up. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, midpoint. Okay, we're gonna go down. Oh, no, we're gonna go up. Oh my God. Da, da. And then the climax happens up here and then we go down, right? To the resolution. Right. I feel like in a way this is inverted <laughs> where it's like, it's yep. going, we're going down instead though. We're going down. And then once the climax happens, Oh, we're going back up now, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's not all building towards one perfect moment, you know, yes. 
And uh, to to reiterate on that climax, I think fixing that would also fix a lot of the movie for me. How that climax played out, right? So let's 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 just look at this climax from the perspective of let's say the theme is the the pressure, right? Uh, that, you know, Mirabelle needs to, has all this pressure put on her. Let's say they did all the legwork. Abuela has been telling Mirabelle she's not doing enough. She needs to do more for the family. She needs to do, be like her siblings with all these special powers. Then in that river scene, that's the scene where Abuela and Mirabelle reconcile and Abuela finally acknowledges or Mirabelle finally does something that helps Abuela recognize what she is contributing to the family. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of that flashback. Now, what what I think they were going for, kind of like you mentioned, was that intergenerational trauma. Right. And that's where they rehash that flashback. But if they were going to do that, in my opinion, what would have been more powerful is if we had seen Mirabel in the beginning and we had that flashback still like keep that keep that origin. What, what do we call that? A, pro- a prologue. Right. Prologue. <laughs> like, What's that word? I don't, we we keep that. Story. <laughs> but we see we see it from Mirabel's perspective. We see a stern and almost and an occasion, maybe not a cruel abuela, but we see it from like that kind of like that darker side. It would help not only introduce a real antagonist into it to make us all scared of abuela, but also you know get the get the story across like the prologue was doing. But then in the climax, when they're having that heart to heart, Mirabel finally understands and sees it from abuela's perspective. Yes. Right. And yeah. we gain compassion for her. And then that unity is what brings us through. Because that climax should have been the moment where the intergenerational trauma breaks. Exactly. And it didn't do that to me, for me or for us. <laughs> but because they didn't set it, they didn't set up the, 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 the pitch properly. Yeah. I'd, I'd said pitch and I swung a bat. That, that's not the right thing. I'm sorry. Are we athletic doctors here? No, I don't even know what a sport is. What is it? Ball hoops? I don't, I don't even know, man. <laughs> well, Luis has something to say. Well, a sport is um, carrying a bunch of donkeys. Anyways, she fell again, so I had to pick her up. Oh, rip, poor Luisa. The surface pressure is really getting to her. <laughs> so, so yeah, I feel like, and you see how the the climax shifts with mm-hmm. the theme, mm-hmm. right? And I think, so that's, that's where I really was able to, you know, pinpoint that that, that's what I would change. I would fix that climax and then adapt everything else in the front half of the script to build up to that moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the the script at the end of the day really wants to be, it feels like the script wants to be something different than the songs do. A hundred percent. Cause I was just thinking about that when you were talking about the climax, where I was thinking of other Disney movies that are musicals as well. Mm-hmm. And thinking about around the climax, what is the song that is supposed to be representative of what's going on? And I know, like, I haven't, I haven't seen these movies in a while, but <laughs> like Frozen 2, for example, I feel like um, Elsa's song of Into the Unknown sure. is very much, sure. it could be either the climax or right before the climax, but at least that's what leads her thematically to that moment mm-hmm. and lands very powerfully and strongly. Um, and I know this is now like, I would have done this differently, you know, not to say like, I would have rather had a more stronger song around the climax rather than the dos oregutas or whatever the mm-hmm. butterfly song is. But like you said, the, the, the songs are doing one thing, but at the same time, the script's doing something a little different sometimes. Right. You know, um, which that's why I, earlier when we were talking about it with like animated films and whatnot, I also want to be like, well, in musical films, 
the idea should be that the reason why characters break into song is that they're feeling so emotional mm -hmm. about something that they can't just tell you it. They got to <laughs> sing it and dance it, you know, like that's right. the idea of a musical, really. And I know. And again, this is an analysis of Broadway and um, as I like to call Mick Broadway because <laughs> of the oversaturation of Broadway musicals and stuff. But they've kind of, you know gone away from that idea of like okay songs need to also have an emotional oomph rather than now and I think potentially that's where Lynn comes in because Lynn is Broadway trained and you watch a lot of his um, shows like in the Heights or um, Hamilton mm -hmm. who would be more considered operas in a way because there's a very limited dialogue in a lot of them right so in a way when he's adapting it for the state for this for his films and whatnot the songs are just more about like let me talk about what's also happening in the story and the theme, but it didn't land well to me. I don't know. Right. I mean, now, now, now it becomes more of like a, a critic than a <laughs> fix. But but if we go if we go just straight from the writers' room, personally, you you'd have to look at what is your production company going for. You know, are you going to tell Lynn to change, or are you going to tell your writers' room to change? Right. <laughs> so just from if we if we go from that, if you're saying okay, we're getting this this guest writer in. And he's like really famous. And obviously we need his songs in there. Then as a writer's room, you should be crafting your story around that. Right. So, so if Lynn, uh, Mr. Miranda, his <laughs> Dr. Miranda of music. Dr. Yes. If, if he's being brought in, you need to be working around his themes and he's talking about the pressure under the surface, always needing to be perfect. So personally, you know, I think that was maybe the direction, they, the theme they should have chosen. However, they were very passionate about the other two themes mm -hmm. and, and it shows. So how to reconcile that? I'm not, I'm not sure at that point, someone's got to sacrifice, right? Like, cause you can't have those two competing themes. It, it just, it, in my opinion, you can have like sub themes, but they need to be contained to sub plots. And the problem was the sub themes were too interrelated to Mirabel, mm -hmm. the protagonist. And it should have gone off. If, if we wanted to explore this sub-theme of surface pressure, we should have explored Luisa and Isa in different settings away from Mirabel in subplots. A hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. Because I felt like with after surface pressure, the song, you really don't see Luisa as much. Like she's there in the background. Right. But she's there crying. <laughs> that's it. You know, and then Isabella's song comes in later in the latter half of act two, mm -hmm. whereas you don't see her up front. And that's why I'm like, interesting. Okay, okay. So that, that's personally what I think I would have recommended is either pick a theme or separate your subplot from your plot so that your antagonist can shine and give us the stakes of what we are, you know, what we're, what we're scared of as audience members of the worst, what is the worst that could happen, right? And that, I mean, then there you go. That's the setup. Like, because Abuela could totally be the antagonist of all those themes. Agreed. But like you said, Maribel needed to have been dissociated in a way from the other two themes. So she's the central figure with the main theme and the main Abuela storyline. You have the Luisa stuff, you have the Isabella stuff that are thematically related, but <laughs> needed to have been explored in a different outlet than the way that it was. Yeah. Like for instance, we even, it's even right there, Dolores and her love for the, for, uh, what's his name? Not Miguel, right? I don't know, but all, he- Mariano, that's what his name. Yeah, Mariano. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mariano's on this way. He told me. <laughs> the man i love this movie too way too much <laughs> but we should have explored that a lot more yeah. and isa not one that shouldn't have been a surprise reveal it should have been something that 
oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. I don't want to marry this person. And Dolores being like, I want to marry this person, but I can't. And that love triangle maybe should have come to the forefront a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. So that, that surface pressure theme could have been explored. Yes. So do you think everybody made sense of our fixes? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I just think about it. I'm like, I still freaking love the film. <laughs> again, again, it's a great film. And because there's so much thematic stuff, yeah. you can, that most everyone can relate to it. You don't have to have a perfect script to have a great film. That is the biggest lessons you can take away from Encanto is your script doesn't have to be perfect for it to be loved. Yes. It just needs to be, I guess in this environment, it needs to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it needs to be relatable. There's yeah. there's the there's the real thing. It needs to be fun. And it needs to be relatable. A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. So yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you like to say, Doctor John? Well, I was just going to ask you, who did yeah. you relate to most? <laughs> oh, Louisa, hardcore. I heard my name again. <laughs> yes, that's what's up, Louisa. She's my girl, man. I relate to her so much, but I know my wife relates more to Isa, Isabella, right? Because uh, that's that's very much who she is. And she feels that kind of pressure. Whereas I feel the pressure of don't let everything fall. I'm holding everything up. My wife's very much, I have to be perfect or <laughs> or just because. I, 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 see, I don't understand Isa's character, but my wife does. <laughs> is, is your wife a only child? Oh, sorry, oldest, eldest child. She is actually the oldest child. Interesting. Okay. Because I was going to mm-hmm. say maybe she's not, or if she was an only child, that's why she doesn't feel the pressure of, the way Louisa does, because I'm like you, I related to Louisa because I uh, felt like I'm also the oldest child and I'm like holding up the family <laughs> and the generational trauma on my backs and trying to like break the cycle while my brother's out there having fun with his life. You know, like he is in many ways, he in many ways is the Isabella mm-hmm. because he's so perfectionist of trying to show like my parents of like, I am perfect in what I'm doing. I am going to be what you mm. want me to be. You know, I am that perfectionist where I'm like, I am, my back hurts. And maybe that's why my back hurts. It's not because discovered it. <laughs> it's because I am Louisa with the world. I am Atlas from. You the are Week Atlas. <laughs> the world is on your shoulders, my friend. Literally, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it. Like we were saying, it's just a phenomenal film because even mm-hmm. though it dealt with a Latin family, the themes were easily universal, and yep. it you don't have to be Latin to understand the film, which was cool. No, and thank heavens, because that's what films need to be, you know, bringing people together, sharing the human experience, the stuff we can all relate to from different perspectives. It's the perfect mesh. It's not a paradox. You can have a human experience from a different perspective and we can all relate to what we're going through, you know? Yes. Yes. And I mean, we all relate on this note, I guess, that we shall never talk about Bruno. Never, never, never. (laughs) We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. I wish I had a Bruno toy here to just like. Oh, he's the other one I I love, but I relate to his superpower. I love his power. His power is pretty cool, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, with that, I guess that kind of wraps it up, yeah? I think so. I think we need to just stop and go start our own little Broadway production of Encanto. What do you say? Yes, I'll be there. <laughs> give me give me 12 hours. <laughs> That's how they, long it will take me to drive to you. <laughs> Sounds great. I will get into costume and yes. till next week's episode, I guess. Till week's next episode. I'm Dr. John. I am Dr. John. 
And this is the Script Doctors. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Script Doctors. If you have a story that could use a little script doctor magic, you can contact us at thejohns.scriptdoctors at gmail.com. We'll help you diagnose what your script is suffering from and give you our recommended prescriptions for how to cure it at a cost that you can actually afford. But we do not accept insurance. Yeah, we don't do that. But make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as well, at The Script Doctors. In the meantime, be sure to do your writing exercises and give your scripts plenty of thematic vitamins. Paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Not another flop. Come on, Dr. John. We gotta go. See you next time.